0: Hello, and welcome to the new episode of Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria skobe Pile, your host. It's such a pleasure today to welcome Jennifer York on the podcast. And Jennifer is a Chief Customer Officer at Ometria. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you, Jennifer. I wanted to ask something to get us started. Tell us one fact about yourself. Fun fact.
1: Well, a long time ago, there was the commercial with Gap in North America, where they had individuals who were doing swing dancing in order to promote their khaki range. This is all the rage in the late 90s. And I became obsessed with it and learned to swing dance. And actually, it was a professional Lindy Hop dancer, which is a type of swing dancing. For a couple of years, I would go to competitions and, and events and get paid to swing dance.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Wow. But you just say... I just learned it. And then I was doing it professionally. Wait, wait, wait. How long did it take you to learn that? It just doesn't happen overnight.
1: Definitely about three years. So it started with some friends on a lark. I mean, one of the benefits of going to a really lovely university was that they had a lot of different activities. And so it was really cheap to start. And then I just did it more and more and got integrated into the community and then got invited to be part of a troop and did performance. So it was about three years, but it was a lot of dancing, like 15 hours a week, maybe 20 on top of school and work. So
0: I got pretty good just because of the time involved with it. Obviously, putting so much practice into it, it takes you somewhere. So that was during your uni days. And was it University of Waterloo? It was, yeah. University of Waterloo in Canada. And
1: that was my workout. I didn't go to the gym. I went dancing instead. (laughs)
0: Perfect. Oh, wow. So now I'm interested to figure out the transition. Okay, university and dancing. And then what happened in your career? Like, obviously, today, you are chief customer officer at Ometria. So what happened after those dancing years, shall I call it? How did you start your career? What's your background?
1: When I started university, my undergrad was actually kinesiology, which for those that aren't familiar, a lot of people aren't, it's the study of human muscles and movement, because I was planning on being a doctor. In North America, in order to gain entry into medical school, you study for the MCATs, it's the standardized testing. So I was doing those studies and just realized I didn't really have an affinity for the individuals who were doing the same sort of thing. That I was doing. Nice people, but there just wasn't a lot there. And so I one day was like, okay, what else do I enjoy? What looks like it could be a really interesting thing to do? My mom has always been in startups and business. And I was like, she seems to like what she's doing. Like, that seems cool. So instead of doing the MCATs, I switched over and studied for the GMATs, which allows you entry into business programs and applied to business school and got into a couple of them, but decided to do at the University of Waterloo. They had a new program called the Masters of Business Entrepreneurship and Technology. And it was a combination of school, but also partnering with the professors at the university to help bring the technologies that they had to market. And so I joined that program and fell in love with sort of what we were doing. It was really exciting to think about how do you put together a business plan and work with these various people? And hey, through business, you can see the world. One of the things with our program, if you applied to business competitions and you were in the top 10, they would pay for you to go. And as someone who grew up with an incredibly loving family, but didn't have a ton of money, we would go on driving vacations to the US and we did vacations, but they weren't Abroad. And so I'd never had the chance to go overseas and thought, this is great. I'm going to apply to everything. <laughs> and I did. And I got to see so many incredible places: Hong Kong, Paris, Abu Dhabi, places in the US and Canada. And was just like, well, this is it. Like business is great. Look where you get to go with business. And then I met a boy, which is unexpected. I was living in the US and he said, being in the U.S., we can do long distance. I was like, that sounds lame. But if I get a job in America, would you move wherever I am? And he said, all right, yeah, that sounds great. So we, with our program, took a trip every year to Boston, and it was in partnership with General Catalyst, and they would introduce us to a number of their companies. So when we went on this trip, I pitched one of the companies as to why I should work for them <laughs> one. to the CEO when we were walking through. And he apparently agreed with me. So I got a job there. (laughs) Apparently, that that is a wow moment. (laughs) Yeah. And so I ended up moving to the US. And when I was in the US, I started in sales. So I was selling to the likes of Unilever, Procter & Gamble. Was hitting quota, but it caused me more stress than joy. But one of the things that I did enjoy was picking the... How do you show value to people? I like that component. I just didn't, I didn't have the drive to go and do the cold calling, the things that I think salespeople are incredibly brave to do. And then I had a friend of mine who was working at HubSpot and they were looking into this thing called customer success management. They didn't have them yet. They were thinking of opening up a department. And I thought like, that sounds great. That's like all the things I like and none of the things I don't like and applied for a role and was hired. And they started a team of three of us and I was the first external person I hired. And then they transferred two other people from the various aspects within the company. And we kicked off their first customer success management department. Wow, so,
0: what yeah, a story. So that's how it started. <laughs> that's how it started. But then when did you make a move to London? How did that come um... about? <laughs> No, sorry, uh, a lot of, see, see me now I will be asking all of those
1: questions. <laughs> oh, no, it's a great question. You're going to notice it's a lot of spontaneity. So we were Perfect. living in, me and the boy were living in Boston for four years. And I had that flavor of seeing the world when I was in business school. And we had some money now because we had real jobs. So it was, we would do <laughs> some vacations. And I was like, you know what? I really want to live abroad. Like, we we're already living here. Let's go live somewhere else. So I came home the one day and said, let's go live in London. And he looked at me and said, okay, well, maybe you should visit it first. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, like, guys. That seems Yeah. I mean, there's lots of reasons why I love them. And I was like, that's reasonable. So the next day I was like, okay, so next weekend I booked myself a four day trip to London. <laughs> and he's like, all right. So I went to London for four days. I had a wonderful time. Came back home and was like, we should move to London. And he's like, well, you saw it. So, all right. And then a year later we did. And I should say, like we got married, so we were able to come because there's different visas that are available to partners. So yeah, we came over to the UK 10 years ago, and we're still here. We just, we really have enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) Okay, I don't know what I like better, the whole career story or the whole love story. This is just so many, those beautiful moments that I'm just thinking it's wonderful. It's just wonderful when you can see if people are passionate for traveling, for being spontaneous. I really loved it. And it seems that it went really well for both of you in every single aspect. Like, I applaud you for that. I think it's just
1: sometimes it's luck of being able to meet a person who has similar values and approach to those values. We're very different people, but it's incredibly complimentary and we're aiming for the same thing. And truthfully, one of the things that I'd written down when you were talking to me about like career lesson and tips is... You need to find people who are willing to fight and be in your corner and champion you when you forget to champion yourself. And I think I've been incredibly lucky not only to have people in the industry that do that, but I have somebody at home who has done that for me since school. And I'm just grateful for it because that is genuinely unique.
0: At the beginning, you also mentioned that your mom was in startups. And it got me thinking, you know, very often we in SaaS or even in customer success have those jokes. Oh, how do you explain to your parents or to your grandparents what you actually do? And then you mentioned your mom was in that world already. So she was in the world of startups. Then you also started being in the world of startups. How did that help you? Did it help you? Were you able to bounce the ideas and just hear different perspectives from someone in your own family? For me, that just sounds wonderful because I feel not many people, at least my age, are not having that opportunity. (laughs) So just, just wondering, how is that experience?
1: It's incredibly unique.
0: And I think, especially
1: now, being a few more years into my career, and I also am a mom now, I have a toddler. So my mom and I now have a very similar experience. She was obviously a mom (laughs) and was working and being able to share the frustrations when things are going wrong or when you have challenges. And she's just like, I get it. Yes, that is annoying. Or like, good for you. That's a huge win. And there's something so validating about not having to explain the environment to your parents, where for some people, they're again, incredibly lucky. They have parents who love them and you want to do well for them. And it's lovely that I have a parent who not only loves me, but also understands it. My dad loves me, doesn't understand it, but he's like, tell me the stories. And he's like, and then he looks at my mom and he's like, is this a good thing? And she's like, yes. He's like, okay, awesome.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I think one of
1: the benefits too, of I was growing up in an environment where because I was female, I did not have parents that really had any sort of distinction of you need to be specifically feminine or specifically masculine. It was you have interests just in general, you can do them. So it's I played tons of sports with my dad. We did lots of building. He was just like, you are a child. You will come and do this with me. I don't care who you are. You will do it. And similarly, my mom was working and participating in those things. And so it allowed me to feel that I had the capacity to be in that space. I was valid. I can be here. You still have to fight and do all those things. But it wasn't a, I should be in the room. They were in the room. They're telling me I can be, I should be in the room too. So that I think was also hugely beneficial, having people in your life that tell you, you should be there. There's no reason for you not to be there.
0: That's really wonderful to hear. It kind of reminds me of my childhood and how maybe my whole generation was growing up. Yes, just do it. Okay, we are climbing the trees now. Perfect. You are playing with cars. We're playing with dolls. We are doing all the little things that we exactly. want to do from sports to music to everything else. There is no boundaries and there is no limits. And I really love that as well. I think we are pretty fortunate for that. Yeah, very much so. And
1: the other thing that's really fascinating too, especially speaking with my mom, And now having, again, a couple more years on my career is just appreciating the challenges that she went through in order to allow me to have the better experience I have working. Is it perfect? No. But my word, it's better than it was when she was doing it. So that's also something that I'm incredibly grateful for. It's like her and the people similar to her who have given us a space to say, no, this isn't okay, or to be in a better environment. And I think likewise... We need to continue to do that so that the next group that comes up has an even better experience than we did. And subsequently for the likes of my mom.
0: Would you mind sharing an example of that? Like what was, let's say, difficult for your mom when she was working and have children? And now you're saying like, it might be a little bit better for you and for our generation. What are those things that you can really see that improved based on the stories that your mom told you? harassment for one.
1: (laughs) I mean, some of the stories she would tell being called pretty or being dismissed, not being talked to, but incredibly egregious. Whereas now someone would be called out for it, at least in the environments that I've been a part of, it would be very rapidly called out, whereas that was normal. I think having an equal or being seen as equal. So you're a girl. Oh, look, the girl can do things and being diminished. That was something that she Mm. experienced. And especially being a mom, I think the challenge that she would have is not being seen as being committed because she would need to come and pick us up or do something of that nature. She was lucky in that my father was a teacher. So there were Opportunity, like in summertime, my dad would be home, and I would spend the summers with my dad, so she didn't have to worry about pickups and drop-offs. But during the year, when my dad was also working, your school teacher, school teachers can't leave school; <laughs> <laughs> they just can't. There's 30 children that, like, who's going to take them? So it would be my mom, and there was much more pressure on her than I feel if I need to step away in order to go pick up my son because he's feeling ill and my husband said he's off-site for some work thing. So I think those are the things that are definitely different.
0: And let's talk about your role, chief customer officer and a mom. Based on everything that you said now, how things to be a little bit different and potentially for your mom. What are some of the examples or situations that you are now setting the example of? Yes, yes. Oh, yes, we can be, you know, C-level executives, mothers at the same time. So you're setting the example to other people who might be working for you or who will work for you one day that all of that is fine and normal and you can have some balance. Can you? And just create that environment for yourself and for the people working for you.
1: Oh, there's lots of thoughts on this one. You will inevitably, having spoken to, I'm again, incredibly lucky that I have a number of friends who are very passionate about careers and also have children. So it's a component of who they are. So I think all of us struggle with the, oh, you've got it all figured out. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no. And the more comfortable you become with the fact that you likely won't ever find perfect, it sort of makes you feel less bad about things. Cause I think there's the perfect, you can have it all. It's like, no. What does that mean? <laughs> like It's, it's
0: never all at the same mean?
1: time. <laughs> no. And I think that's the same for people that are also child free or childless. It's still, you have lots of things that you want to do. Can you do all of them at once? Probably not. Like you're going to have to make prioritizations and decisions on what matters to you holistically with your own set of values. So yes, I have a child, but I don't think that that is necessarily any different from any other woman who is trying to make her way in the world. What I do try to do, at least with the experience of loving my job and having a child, is just normalizing the fact that I am those things. And so I talk about it, just like I talk about all of my interests. I work from home a lot of the time because the organization I'm at is a remote flexible and so if my husband's picking up my son and he comes home and he runs into the room, well, guess what? He's going to be on that call because he's three and doors don't mean anything to him.
0: Like of uh, You're his mommy and he wants just to be exactly. next to you because that's the most natural thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of like, this is my son. Hang on one moment. I give him a big hug. Then he's fine and it's Okay. And so I think it's just talking about that and giving people the capacity to say, hey, guys, I'm going to put the space in my calendar. That's when I need to do pickup. Here's what I can commit to you. Here's what I can do after, which also gives other people the opportunity, at least I hope it gives other people the opportunity to say, hey, I have something important in my own life. I know these outcomes are due. I'm going to get these to you. Here's when you can reach me. I'm going to go do this thing that's important to my life. And they don't feel as much pressure. So that I think is the one thing that I'm trying to do with my role and where I am at life to try to make some space for other people should they decide to do something the same.
0: It feels very normal for you. And I would say, yeah, of course, it's kind of common sense, but not everybody have those kind of leaders. So even just you normalizing life in its every aspect is, I feel, pretty appreciated. It is a big deal. So don't underestimate it. Just thinking it's a normal thing. It's not for everybody. And it is a first step and a great step for someone just to make everyone else almost giving them permission to have life. And block calendars for the things that matters because we live in a life where work and life is 24-7. They're not clear boundaries. So at least in that way, you could help others.
1: Yeah, it, the one thing that is nice about that experience is that inevitably all of us are going to work a couple of jobs in our lives. So you know, there's 130 people at my organization. So if 130 people see it and we all go and do something different, then, hey, maybe they take that example of, guess what, women can have a seat at the table. And if their kid runs in, it doesn't mean that they're any less, good at what they do. And then they take that somewhere else. And so it it is this little small network effect. And I think that's the same for anyone else who does stuff. So yeah, that's the one thing I guess that I try to do is just normalize it and talk about things. I'm a talker.
0: That's perfect. That's perfect. That's why we like chatting today. Jennifer, you have done incredibly well in your career. Like loads of people, especially the people who are very passionate about progressing careers, getting to that next level and then next level, higher up, higher up, they will look upon you and thinking, oh, wow, it's really an amazing career trajectory. And you basically went from a CSM through to the leadership, through director, VP to chief customer officer to the highest level in that aspect. I wonder what are the learnings that you are taking from one role to another? So from one step to the next step, mostly in terms of when you're a CSM, you're focusing on a particular area of your business, your book of business, or you're gaining some skills for it. So what are all the other things that you have to build upon it as you're climbing that ladder? So any new skills, new observations, new behaviors, new habits that you're creating, just give us a little bit of those insights and secrets of what happens next and next and how do you progress? So just a small question. (laughs) I think first and foremost, because
1: we had chatted about this earlier, just realizing that it does take time. The interest in this type of role didn't really come about to me until I got my first opportunity to manage. And then I thought, like, oh, maybe I could do that (laughs) at some point. And that was 10 years ago. It's been a long bill. And I think one of the things that I've seen people say is, oh, I've been a CSM for seven years. What am I doing wrong? And the fact is nothing. <laughs> um, because arguably, if you start from when I actually started doing it, it's even longer than 10 years. Uh, so you're doing nothing wrong. And that's just giving people a space and the freedom to feel okay about where they are today, I think is important. Insights and things that you've done along the way. When you are a customer success manager... The biggest thing is to drive outcomes and values for your individual account. And so you need to be almost singularly minded about driving the client and the resources you have to push towards that value maximization. That is very valuable, but very different from when you're in leadership. And you need to be able to pull yourself out of the detail and look across all of it and think about the big picture. So that transition is usually the hardest one. People talk about quote unquote strategy, but truly being strategic is being able to really almost like put yourself on a plane and look down at the ground and see how things are laid out beside each other. And it takes time to do that. So to anyone, what I would say is find individuals who have been able to make that transition and introduce yourself to them see if you can have a conversation with them every so often, because in your own role, you're not going to have the capacity to see those things on a regular basis. If you want to sort of speed things up, having the opportunity to hear how someone does it so that you can test it in your current role or start testing it, not only gives you a little bit more experience, but also gives you the opportunity to talk to your own manager which potentially could pull you into some different conversations, projects, opportunities that will again, reinforce that learning and and help speed it up. So that is definitely one thing that I would say is find quote unquote mentors, which sounds like a scary word, but actually isn't. Individuals like myself, we love to talk to people. 99.9% of the time we'll say yes to a conversation. It's just people aren't asking. So
0: audience, yeah. please take that into account. Jennifer, your inbox are going to be filled after this episode with the request you asked for it. Um, but thank you. That's very generous. I definitely do this with a couple
1: of people. So I will say the good news is I will share if I have more time. And if not, I will definitely recommend incredible people who I know will have a little bit of time too. So I accept the risk of the inbox. <laughs> Another thing is that I would also encourage anyone, not just within CS, but any role, truthfully, is something I learned 10 years ago, which is a phrase called seek to understand. This is one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn and has been one of the most valuable ones. And whenever something isn't working, you perceive it not to be working, or you're frustrated with something or someone, take the opportunity to understand why it might actually be frustrating for them or what they might be trying to accomplish. Because 99.9% of the time, you find out that you're both attempting to solve similar problems or you're coming at things from a really good place. And suddenly that makes things much less adversarial. And it helps people in organizations see you as somebody who wants to partner to make things better, which has this phenomenal like build to it. Because one person says like, yeah, I had a lot of fun with Jen. Like she ended up helping me with this thing and somebody else sees it. And then they're like, oh, come and help me with this. And it's like, oh, we had a great time. And suddenly you have all these individuals who are supporting the work that you're doing through the fact that you're just being really collaborative. So that is something else that I would say, take the opportunity to try to seek to understand. The other funny way when I'm in a mood and I'm telling people about it, I'm like, no one wakes up trying to be an asshole (laughs) <laughs> so if you're frustrated with someone know that that's not their intention like they are trying to do something to make the world better too most of the time so try to find that like what is it you're trying to do okay like let's figure out where we're trying to go together and keep moving
0: oh that's wonderful a good reminder yes assume good intent everybody yeah. always mostly trying <laughs> to do a probably the, great the job. more
1: family-friendly <laughs> version
0: <laughs> it's okay I'm not saying you're not family friendly podcast, but there is no age limit. So we are fine. (laughs) Sorry, kids. (laughs) My kids are in school now. Good, good. Jennifer, I just wonder what is one of the most enjoyable things in your work? Oh, seeing people do something they didn't see themselves doing.
1: I love that. One of my team members, he just delivered his first enterprise business review to some incredibly challenging stakeholders, including the budget owner. And he spent genuinely two weeks really honing his message and putting everything together. And it went phenomenally well. And he is rightfully proud of himself. I love that. Like, I love that there's an environment that I've hired the people, so but they've done the hard work, like that my directors and managers and leaders have been able to instill in a group that this person can do those types of things, the customer gets value, and everyone else around him is also so happy for him. Like, that's
0: great. I love that. That's a wonderful example of you being an executive leader. Firstly, knowing what's happening with every single people across your organization that reports to you, but it's just wonderful to see you being so happy for them. Well, I have to thank Slack, because Slack is a, we have channels where people can put stories up, so I will admit
1: Slack is my saving grace. (laughs)
0: Well, you're using tools, right? You're helping yourself with the technology. (laughs) Amazing. Jennifer, thank you so much. This was such an enjoyable conversation. And I feel that I could just talk to you like that for hours and hours and hours. And there's one question that I'm interested to hear from you. What is one question that you wish other people ask you more often?
1: Oh, I think I would jokingly say, what's your favorite cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Back to our first conversation, mostly because I love talking about food, but this is a business related podcast, so I probably should pick something related to business. But you can uh, even pick your favorite cheese. That's fine. It is Manchego for those that <laughs> want to know. So if I get emails asking for calls, if you mention Manchego, you might get a better chance. <laughs> Good. It is um, down. Things that I would love to be asked. I think it's more, where do you, It's the fun questions, right? Like the ones that don't actually have answers. So where is the future of customer success going? Where is the future of retail going? Because that's the industry that I work in. Because those are fun. You can take the idea and bat them around. And genuinely, no one's going to know if they're right for like five years. Like that's fun.
0: (laughs) Well, then I have to finish with that question. So where is the future of customer success going? Oh, that's probably (laughs) a good answer
1: for it. I do think it's going to continue to be... More ingrained into business drivers. And it's further along the path now, but I think seeing it as an area of more investment. So, if you think about generally the SaaS organization and how the financial breakdown goes, there's certain components, percentage components, that a quote unquote good SaaS company should have. So, customer success on average, not including support, is about 10% of your overall spend. And that's like a healthy SaaS business. And I would argue that actually it's too low. And I think you're going to start to see that shift and and more integration into using AI to help deliver value to customers and having more of a seat at the table with respect to growth and revenue, revenue driving for the business.
0: What that looks like, who knows? (laughs) We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll see in five years. We'll see. We'll see. Speak then, Jennifer. (laughs) This was really wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was lovely. Thank you for the opportunity. It was
1: really, really fun. So thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. Next week, new episode. Subscribe to the podcast and connect with me on LinkedIn so you're up to date with all the new episodes and the content I'm curating for you. Have a great day and talk to you soon.